Welcome to Rose Tinted, a podcast where we challenge the limits of our nostalgia by re-examining some of our favourite childhood movies. I'm Ollie Chip. And I'm Paddy HK. And today we will be discussing Small Soldiers. Yes, hello and welcome to Rose Tinted. Uh, Before we get started, I just wanted to give the uninitiated some background info about this podcast. So Ollie and I are old friends who decided to make a list of our favourite childhood movies so we can revisit them one by one to see if they still hold up to scrutiny. Um, Yeah, we've got some loose rules for our selection process. The movies have to bear some kind of significance to our childhood or early adolescence, and we try to only select movies that we have not watched since that time. So with that out of the way, Ollie, why don't you tell us a little bit about Small Soldiers? Okay, so um, yeah, the film we're watching or have watched for this episode is uh, Small Soldiers. Um, It was released in 1998, so I was seven years old uh, when this movie was released. It's directed by Joe Dante, and obviously at the time when I was a kid, I had no idea that it was a Joe Dante movie. But like looking back at it now, like it's so clear that it's a Joe Dante movie. Like it's really similar in its sort of aesthetic to Gremlins, for example. I think there's a lot in common with that. Uh, it stars Kirsten Dunst, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Gregory Smith, Tommy Lee Jones in in voice only. But I think that's a really good casting of him. But we'll probably talk about that a bit later on. It was released by Universal, and I thought this was quite interesting. So it cost, for some reason, $40 million to make. Jesus Christ. Like, where where is that money? What's that money gone towards, man? I'll I'll tell you where it's gone towards. I know exactly where it's gone towards. The soundtrack. And I don't want to get into too much detail now, but they are just, like, playing, like, Zeppelin, Queen. And, like, I can't remember who did the track, but they've got that war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like literally all of the money went on the soundtrack basically. Thirty nine and a half million dollars went on the music and <laughs> yeah. then the rest of the budget on the actual film. Um so yeah, it costs forty million dollars, which still is eye watering for what this movie is. Um and it made eighty four and a half. Um so it's a reasonable failure financially, I think, in that regard. And widely criticized when it was released as well by by the contemporary critics. Um in terms of plot First of all, like all of the movies in this podcast, I'm going to say this probably every episode, like go and watch these movies. But in terms of plot, just a quick synopsis. So basically this private military contractor purchases a toy company, which I find hilarious. Um, (laughs) In the first place, like what the hell is that? Um, And one of the workers at the toy company decides that to to sort of impress their new boss, they're going to put weapons grade microchip technology into toys. Again, like amazing. So basically the toys are programmed to war with each other and when they have these new chips in them they they take it really literally. So on, on one side you have the Gorgonites which are these like idiosyncratic cowardly alien types aren't they led by Archer and then you have the aggressive militaristic Commando Elite led by Major Chip Hazard who is obviously voiced by Tommy Lee Jones. And those toys the Commando Elite start attacking humans and it all culminates in a massive battle at the end. Yeah, that was a very good synopsis, my friend. You like that? Oh, yeah. It's almost uh, brought the two hours of my life that I spent watching the movie back to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I jest. I jest. I actually enjoyed watching this movie, but we'll, we shall get to that. Well, I mean, I've got here my one sentence plot, 
Do you want to hear that now as well? I think you should uh, let me know your one sentence plot synopsis, yes. Okay, I've written, and this is just straight out of my notes, it's basically if Toy Story was directed by Charles Manson. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I could, I could definitely see that. Yeah, there's a lot to, there's a lot to cover with this movie. Uh, but before we get to that, why do you think this film made the list for you? Um, well, it's quite interesting because only today, just before the recording, I mentioned to my friend what we were doing on this podcast. And he said he actually mentioned straight away that Small Soldiers was one of the movies that he said should be on the list because he remembers coming around my house and watching this movie pretty much on repeat. And I don't know, it's it's one of those strange films that sort of I loved as a kid and then just like flew so far under my radar when, when I was growing up that I, I just haven't really revisited since then. So I think it's a really good rose-tinted film to look at because i literally have not even thought about this movie until like friday of this week it's now sunday so you know yeah absolutely i mean it was very much uh, the same for me i loved this movie as a kid absolutely adored it to the point where i watched the video so much that it had basically degraded like it really was like one of my favorite films to revisit when i was a kid but the weirdest thing is yeah like you say it had completely passed under my radar until really recently and i was trying to think because obviously something that we do when going into each movie screening is what scenes can we we remember from the movie and i was racking my brains to try and think what scenes i could actually remember and it was like there was like nothing so basically i remembered like abstract scenes of violence and lots of glass and sharp objects and explosions yeah and that sort of had stuck in my mind i remembered the protagonist alan's haircut because i remember thinking that's a cool haircut (laughs) that's a cool haircut well no when i was a kid i thought it was a cool haircut because it was the most (laughs) 90s haircut of all time that that haircut dude is probably in a museum now (laughs) yeah exactly exactly but i loved it i just remember thinking that alan kid's a cool cat and i hope to emulate him one day is literally the opposite. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I remembered uh, Major Chip Hazard and Archer. But other than that, there was really no specific scenes that I could recall. I mean, obviously, when I watched the film, it all came rushing back to yeah, me, yeah. Uh, which was pretty trippy, actually. But <laughs> it was just flashes of imagery and feelings more than anything else. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty much the same. Like, the main, the main things... I shouldn't say things because one of them's a person. Um, but the main the main things I remember is first of all, um, Major Major Chip Hazard's like horrifying wound that he like gets at the end of the movie, like that vividly in my mind, like a half melted face. He sort of looks like Two Face from Batman. Um, I remember just Kirsten Dunst being in it. Mm. Looking back on it from an adult, like she's actually really good in it. That's probably why she's so memorable, is because she's really convincing. And then the other thing I remember, I don't know why this is, but the nail gun machine gun. I remember that as well. So why don't we dive straight into talking about the things that we enjoyed about the movie. And we've already briefly mentioned the casting and the performances. And I think that's a real strength of the movie. I think they're great. I think the movie really benefits from having some comedic heavyweights from that era playing some of the side characters. So you've got David Cross. Tobias. Tobias, yeah. Tobias from Arrested Development. Tobias from Arrested Development is now his name for this podcast. Yeah, exactly. But you've, yeah, you've got David Cross. Tobias. Um, Tobias you've got you've got Dennis Leary who is fantastic in this movie and he was actually one of the people that I remembered as well and you've also got Phil Hartman 
who is obviously of Simpsons fame. Yeah. And he's also hilarious in this. Um, so yeah, like the casting is really strong uh, in terms of just knowing where to mine comedy, but also just generally speaking across the board, I think it really works. The character in- interactions and the relationships feel believable. Like Alan's parents, you just see them interacting in the kitchen and it just feels really natural. They're behaving like what I would imagine a married couple to behave like. Well, it's like his dad, Alan's dad. So Alan's the the protagonist of the movie. I mean, this is a, maybe a little bit of a, a thing that I didn't really get on with with this movie. Movie, but like his backstory sounds really interesting and they just sort of like skim over it but basically he's been like booted out of a couple of schools hasn't he um and his dad doesn't trust him and it seems like his dad has severe anger management issues because of that so the mum spends the whole movie just trying to calm his dad down which as a dynamic is really nice oh man even though they didn't explore the backstory enough, I love the way they handled exposition in this movie, especially if you compare it to uh, The Lost World, which yeah. we covered on our last episode. So The Lost World was just an expository dump all the time. Whereas here, I loved the way they planted the exposition. I thought it was handled really well and with a lot of patience. So you first have these little interactions between Alan and his parents where he's like, oh, you know, you can trust me and you know, all of this. And what do I have to do to prove that you can trust me? And so it teases it at the beginning and then it sort of slowly starts to come out. And then eventually his sort of the reason his parents don't trust him sort of comes out in a conversation between him and Kirsten Dunst. But it's sort of like a two-part conversation. So it's not just all one big expository dump. Yeah, it just felt organic and it felt natural. And that's sort of like the, the two words that would come to mind when it when I think of the script. I like that phrase that you just mentioned there, like an expository dump, where it's just like, let's get the story out of the way so we can focus on the dinosaurs. It's basically what Lost World was, where this seems there's far more integration between the action sequences and character development and narrative progression, which are like novelties compared to the last movie we looked at. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, character development and narrative progression actually exist in this movie because it could have been so easy to just be like, oh, we've got this concept where we animate these toys and they go to war with each other, which is a fundamentally really entertaining concept. But they really did uh, put effort into establishing character motivations and character relationships, which I really, really liked. Um, Obviously, we've got to mention the animation, which, again, has aged really well, um, in my opinion. Well, I, I I know that the reason the reason for that, and like I guess we got to be careful not to slip into this every time we look at a kids movie because you know the mid to late nineties were like, wow, we found CGI, like this is cool stuff, so we're just gonna throw it at everything we make. But it's definitely not as good as the Lost World CGI by any stretch. But I think they get away with it in this movie because of the subject material. Like it's really easy to an- to CGI animate a toy because it doesn't it doesn't need to look realistic. It needs to look like a toy moving and CGI is really good at making a toy look like a toy. Do you know what I mean? But even, even saying that, I still thought the transition between the jerky toy movements to sort of the more fluid movements that the toys would exhibit on occasion was more or less seamless. And I think it's integrated into sort of like the real world footage really well the one thing that i really loved in this movie which i thought was just super charming which is strange because charming is not a word i would actually describe this movie as we'll get to that we will get to that but what one thing that i did find uh, incredibly charming about this movie is the use of scale which i thought was just done so well like the reappropriating of items to suit another yeah. purpose it's very home alone isn't it yeah it's home alone and it's also um honey i shrunk the kids so i loved it like major chip hazard giving a speech in front of the jigsaw <laughs> yeah. the american flag 
flag. They use a toaster to fire projectiles and uh, they use a bottle opener as an explosives plunger. And it's like they really have thought about you know, the mechanics of how these items might be appropriated for deadly warfare. <laughs> well, that that the, the great thing about that toaster weapon is that they're firing flaming DVDs out of the toaster. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a shuriken, like, cannon. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. Mate. Yeah, I mean, and, and like, I thought that that was just executed so well and it was really believable as well. Um, one final thing that I really loved was the uh, movie references throughout the film. So the film clearly has its influences and it's not afraid to wear them on its sleeve. And I thought that was also, there's something quite cute about that as well. I think, and it's interesting because you mentioned the eye, you know, Major Chip has it towards the end of the movie. Half of his face gets burnt and sort of his eyes revealed and he's all scarred. And you mentioned that that reminded you of Two-Face. And what that actually reminded me of was Terminator. Yeah. And I actually think there's a few Terminator references throughout the movie. Like, so at the beginning you see, you know, all the toys are being created on this assembly line and you see the exoskeleton of Major Chip Hazard before he gets his flesh put on him and immediately in my mind i was like oh it's it's tiny terminator <laughs> tiny terminator <laughs> yeah i mean going back to the one line the, the way i would describe this movie in one line i i think tiny terminator <laughs> is probably probably a good way to go <laughs> two words dude that's, that's uh, good work good work yeah yeah tiny terminator um but generally speaking i was i was thoroughly entertained by the movie it was a fun ride to be on um and then there's certain bits that maybe upset that balance a little bit but generally speaking yeah there was a lot to enjoy in this movie i thought yeah i mean i'm not quite as uh, enraptured by the movie as you seem to be but some some of the things that i i particularly liked i really enjoyed the opening i really liked the whole globotech tv spot where it's sort of this funny satire on consumerism and capitalism you've got like a weapons engineer trying to sell military technology to families and things like that and it, it's all very robocop to me i really like that sort of sharp satire it's a shame that it never really rears its head again till like right at the end but i really like that opening tv spot nonetheless um other things i mean struggling a little bit already uh i put competently structured narrative which... <laughs> the highest compliment a film studies teacher can pay a movie it was competent <laughs> i mean yeah i think the reason we only remember sort of moments is because this movie to me is like a collection of interesting moments like i've, I've mm. just put there it's a competent story like the scenes have a cause and effect chain to them the characters have a good amount of development across the course of the film but like if you were to walk out of the theater having seen this you'd remember moments more than you'd remember story i think um so like yeah there's some great stuff like the disgusting frankenstein's monster wendy dolls major chip has it like manufactures an army out of one of the characters collection of barbies like i love that sort of stuff and i really like sort of what you picked up on there as well the um use of household items and turning them into tanks and weaponry i mean as a kid i was like weirdly into war i loved guns everything i owned was like camouflaged and and what small soldiers was i think to me as a kid is like bringing those sadistic war fantasies to life because <laughs> a lot of the time i'd be playing with the toys that i had in my possession and i'll be playing with them like the story of small soldiers and then small soldiers comes out and i'm like oh shit like this movie is definitely for me yeah. um, and i think that in itself is incredibly problematic but like i like that i like the military aspect of it quite a lot i think um the last thing that i want to pick up on 
that I like, and it's a very small point, is the toys themselves, when they're not when they're not animated and when they're not being puppeteered, they just look like super tactile and like weighty and colourful. Mm. When they're in those boxes, they look really like high quality. They look heavy, like they look really cool. You believe they're expensive. Yeah, you get the impression that they are expensive toys. And I mean, I don't know if you've seen what the actual toys look like. Anyone anyone listening, like eBay or Google, Small Soldiers Toy, and, and you'll see what I mean. Like, have a look at that link and tell me that if you bought those as a kid, you'd be absolutely mugged off. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to the toys in the actual movie, like the state of those, man, they look like they've been made for three pence in a factory somewhere. Prepare to be immensely disappointed <laughs> and have part of your childhood ruined, which is probably a good tagline for this po- uh, podcast in general, isn't it? Rose tinted, prepare to be immensely disappointed and have your childhood ruined. <laughs> I think it's good you you picked up on a few things that I want to carry over into the section of stuff that I enjoyed less or that I found problematic. And I think that you are so right. Like, as a collection of individual set pieces and scenes and moments, this movie succeeds Mm -hmm. completely. I think it's great. But the most fundamental problem with this movie is that it is trying desperately to have its cake and eat it too. And I think it has a lot of seemingly conflicting messages. Yes, um, 100%. So I want to go back to the opening. So the opening is like this funny deconstruction of the military industrial complex. Yes. And it sets the movie up with this foundation of satire, right? But then it's almost like it goes on to just completely contradict or drop that satirical element. So it seems to be criticizing the military industrial complex. But then by the end of the movie, after all this chaos has happened, the Globotech CEO just cuts a bunch of checks to people, none of whom have anything bad to say to him as soon as they see the checks, right? And then he just gets into his helicopter again and just fucks off, basically. What I hate about that is, like, there's no payoff to that either because you expect, like, it happens three times, right? Everyone comes up to him individually and complains, like, oh, my house is destroyed, this is destroyed, whatever. And then he gets, he doesn't even write them himself. He gets his assistant to write the check and she hands the check to the person. Mm. And you think, like, this happens three times literally in a row, one after the other. And I was expecting, like the third time it happened to be some form of like fun payoff or switcheroo where something different would happen. But it just sort of like, it fell really flat at the end to me. Yeah, the movie's like positioning um, Dennis Leary's character, like the CEO as like the main antagonist. I mean, when he first appears, he's just this arrogant, entitled asshole, basically. And, And the movie very deliberately positions him as the antagonist and therefore anything that he believes in or anything that he says, the movie initially seems to be against and seems to be satirizing. But then by the end of the movie, he just gets off completely scot free. And if anything, by the end of the movie, he's better off than he was at the beginning of the movie because there's that one line, which I think is in incredibly poor taste at the end of the movie. I've, I know, I've got it written down here. I think I know which one you're going to say. Yeah, yeah, where he basically, like, he cuts all the checks, gets back in his helicopter, and then he's basically like, I'm sure there's some South American rebels that would really enjoy these toys. So basically, the movie starts off 
by criticizing the military industrial complex and then by the end it's almost celebrating it because this guy who's supposedly the antagonist of the movie yeah. receives no punishment whatsoever and it's implied that he makes even more profit off of these <laughs> war toys and i think that that is just a thing that seems to be happening throughout the movie there's a lot of moments where the movie sets up this satirical vein and then becomes complicit in the very thing that it seems to be criticizing i mean that 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 ties in nicely to two main things that i have a problem with in this movie so i agree with the in terms of the contradiction that you've spotted i thought there was a slightly different contradiction here mm. it sort of ties in i suppose to what you've just mentioned but i think like the film is clearly trying to paint the commando elite as the antagonist. Like, you're right in saying that the primary human antagonist is the owner of that corporation. But, like, the commando elite are the ones acting like villains, right? They're committing all of these acts of violence. And the Gorgonites, the aliens, are far more peaceful in nature, right? So it's clearly trying to demonstrate through that that, you know, acting like the commando elite is bad. And the film is clearly trying to show that that is the case. Um, and that, you know, we need to root for the Gorgonites because they're peaceful and they're friendly and they're friends with the humans. However, when I was a kid... <laughs> this is, we're about to we're about to venture into territory where you and i significantly differed as children so when i was a kid like and i don't think i'm wrong in saying the demographic the audience demographic for this movie is children right as a kid i i was more interested in seeing the commando elite commit war crimes against the against the gorgonites than i was that i was about the gorgonites like escaping all of these terrible like genocidal tendencies so what that basically is showing is that there's a contradiction there like the film is trying to paint the commando elite as evil however the target audience probably are more interested in watching the Commando Elite than they are the Gorgonites. And the film goes a long way to show how pathetic the Gorgonites are, right? <laughs> like, they're, 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 they hide all the time. Like, their primary function is to hide away. They also have, like, wacky, stupid, silly voices and things like that. So I think there's a lot painted there with the Gorgonites to make them seem pathetic. Oh, yeah. And, and like, at one point, Alan actually comments on them and says that they've got no self-esteem, which is one of my favourite lines in the movie. But, um, well, firstly, let's not get too carried away and assume that every child that watched this movie had the same strange level of sadism that you seem to have, because I seem to explicitly remember rooting for the Gorgonites all the way through the movie. But you did touch on a couple of things, uh, which I think segues into another the point quite nicely firstly i'm really glad that you mentioned the genocidal tendencies <laughs> because there's a lot of sort of tonal imbalances in this movie because you've got like at one point archer thinks all the rest of the gorgonites are dead and he literally says there are no more gorgonites <laughs> and like he's mourning the genocide of his people and then alan's just like oh just shut up you're starting to annoy me the whole time you know it's really like the way that this movie tries to explore these really real concepts through the use of these toys is a little <laughs> it's a it's a little tone deaf at points to say the least and the, the main thing i want to talk about is the violence in the movie and specifically what it's trying to say about violence which again i think is contradictory and confusing and i don't even really know if the movie knows what it's trying to say no you know it's not smart it's not smart i don't know this sounds really pretentious but the movie isn't smart enough to take a stand on that i don't think no what it's doing at the end of the day is showing how hilarious it would be if toys came to life <laughs> and, and murdered each other but there does seem to be some kind of confused message that runs throughout the movie so at the beginning uh, david cross's character 
actor tobias yeah tobias uh he's worried that the marketing of the commando elite might be a bit violent and then leary our antagonist who we're supposed to disagree with says exactly so don't call it violence call it action kids love action after all they're only toys so the movie seems to be establishing a criticism of the way violence is sanitized in order for it to be marketed towards children but then becomes like totally complicit in this idea throughout its runtime because that's exactly what the movie is that's exactly what the movie is <laughs> that is precisely 100 what the movie is it's so confusing i was honestly i was writing like pages and pages of notes just being like what is this movie trying to say is it criticizing that concept is it criticizing itself or are we actually supposed to agree with the antagonist and disagree with nice tobias david cross character you know it's so interesting so basically fundamentally i, I think the movie again starts off by criticizing violence and ends by glorifying it not only because they revel in showing it as entertainment but also because the pacifism that's exhibited by the gorgonites is ultimately rendered futile because they're basically like we shouldn't hide we have to fight and it's only <laughs> when they start becoming as violent as the commandos that they actually you know start to make some headway in the movie well arg arguably arguably i don't think actually this is even controversial to say arguably the atrocities that the gorgonites and the humans commit against the commando elite are far more savage than those against against uh, the gorgonites and the humans right I, I i do think you're right and this is where i want to say this is where i think the movie is you know having its cake and eating it too where it said you know it seems to be against the sanitization of violence and it seems to be against all of this but then it has this whole theme running throughout it of just incredible ultra violence that it's using for spectacle and it gets away with it because it gets done to toys so i've made a list because i got inspired by your list in our last episode oh uh, you're joking i've done exactly the same thing i think well let's see if they're the same list but basically my list is entitled things you can get away with doing to toys that you can't <laughs> get away with doing to humans in a kid's movie um number one both legs being caught in machinery and amputated, which happens twice. That happens twice. <laughs> I was going to say, they love it. They love that, don't <laughs> they? Brick Bazooka gets his legs caught in a bike chain and they immediately fall off. And then Nick Nitro gets caught in the garbage disposal. There's two scenes of two separate characters dragging their torsos along the ground by their arms. Okay, that's number one. Number two, decapitating someone and then tearing the <laughs> flesh off their skull and removing their brain. Because yes, when Nick Nitro dies, they take off his head and remove the skin to reveal his terrifying exoskeleton skull and then take out the chip and reappropriate it for other purposes. Number three, burning them alive and then showing their disembodied burning limbs floating down a river blowing them up, stabbing them multiple times and electrocuting them until they disintegrate and their <laughs> eyes pop out of their sockets. <laughs> so these are all things the movie gets away with depicting because it's happening to toys and not people. And it does seem to run slightly counter to the initial message the movie seems to be putting out there, which is children consume violence too easily because it's really sanitized, basically. Yeah, um, I mean, my list runs pretty similar, but I, what I've basically done here is I just made a bullet point list of all the times things things that were savage happened to either a toy or to a person. So I'm just going to reel this off. Uh, decapitation of the Navigator toy at the start. Uh, cut in two at Torso, Commando on the bike. The almost like waterboarding torture of Archer 
that happens as well. Yeah. Parents being drugged with sleeping pills. Um, children being attacked and then tied up in like hogtied positions. Um, beheading, skinning, dissection of a corpse. Um, I put obliteration through blunt force trauma. Um, and that happens a lot with those dolls. They get sort of like thrown into walls and things and, and destroyed. Um, being set on fire. Um, what happens... Another thing that I've completely forgot about, but watching this again is so ridiculous... Kirsten Dunst's character, like being being part of a what is essentially like a terrorist video, where she's being coerced to say things on tape. Oh man, that scene is dark. <laughs> yeah, I know. If it, if it was if it was like a if it was like a an iMovie filter, it would be like the the terrorist filter. Yeah, it's absolutely bizarre. And when it came up, I was watching the movie and I literally went, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like it was so dark. But the thing is they're showing this genuinely horrifying scene and they're watching the video and then one of the Gorgonites says something like, oh, change the channel. Is there anything else on? And it's just like, there's just this weird, like total tonal whiplash throughout the movie where they're just showing this horrifying violence and then just like offsetting it with these like more kiddie aspects. So again, another way I would summarize this movie is it is basically Toy Story meets Saw. Yeah. Or Chucky. Yeah. I mean, just to, just to finish off that list then, so terrorist video being exploded with flaming bombs, which were obviously like the, the flaming tennis balls, uh, nail gun, electrocution, and then finally, right at the end of my list, in big bold letters, is just the words lawnmower. Yeah. Uh, because they they literally run over a good 100 Commando Elite with a lawnmower and their body parts go flying everywhere. Yeah. And this sort of raises a big question. Do you think that the reason neither one of us could remember any of the details of this movie is because despite how entertaining we found it, we subconsciously repressed it because of how traumatic our brains must have found it. It is wild. It's absolutely wild, the level of violence in this movie. So you mentioned you had a couple of other criticisms to make about the movie. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I don't want to become the sort of, like, grouchy cynic on this podcast, but, like, I'm not going to lie. This movie's just a bit fucking boring, dude. I really wanted to be entertained by it, and the film was trying so hard to entertain me. But I just ended up being a little bit bored. I found Alan, the protagonist, the most dull person I've seen in a movie for a long time. Probably 20 years was the last time I watched this. Um, there's a reason Kirsten Dunst and Tommy Lee Jones are household names and Gregory Smith, who plays this dude, <laughs> is not a household name. It's because he's so dull. Um, I got nothing like I got nothing from him whatsoever. If he was more like a Nelson from The Simpsons type character yeah. or a Bart, I would be a bit more on board. But he's just so dull. Dull. But I think he also, he's a good character for the audience to imprint themselves onto. Yeah, well, that, that just proves my point. Like, he's a blank canvas. And like, there's nothing more boring than a blank canvas. But yeah, like the problem for me, and it might be just because of my like desensitized adult nature now, but like the action and the violence just wasn't as interesting or fun as I remember it being. I was less bored in The Lost World and I hated The Lost World. So, you know, there's a, something to be said there, I think. The other thing that I don't like, and it's a problem I have with all movies like this, and it's the same problem I'm, I have with Toy Story, it's the same problem I have with 
well, with anything that has a toy as a protagonist, because you never know what came first, right? Did the idea for the movie come first or did the idea for the toy come first? The merchandising. Yeah. If it's the latter, if the idea for the toy came first, then all the movie is, is a 90 minute advert. Yeah, that's so true. And I mean, interestingly, Dennis Leary at the end says, too bad, this would have made one hell of a commercial. Like he yeah. says that before he gets to the play. I'm like, dude, this is a fucking commercial. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, this is exactly what this movie is. So like, yeah, if, if the idea for the toy came first, then all this is, is an advert. And that's super cynical, horrible, I, like, I don't agree with advertising to children at all. Mm. And that's what this basically is. However, if the idea came first, then it's a little bit more, I don't know, maybe has a little bit more of a moral compass to it. That also goes back to what I was saying about the movie having its cake and eating it too, because I do think that they wanted to present this sort of cool idea of these toys fighting each other and playing with scale and telling a story that way. But the movie itself operates within this system where, like you said, it made no money. So the only money it would have made would have been from merchandising. <laughs> from toys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from toys. Because it was trying to satirize advertising. Yeah. But then the only way this movie can exist in the first place is by advertising violence towards children. <laughs> so it, yeah, again, it's, it's just another example of a contradiction. So I think it's weird. I don't think it's an either or thing. Well, I think like the fact that me as a kid didn't own a major chip hazard toy maybe tells me that the film idea came before the toy because if it was one giant giant 90 minute advert as a kid, I probably would have had the chip has a toy. And I mean, I've shown you an image of the toys. They look like shit. So that's probably another reason why I didn't have a chip has a toy because they look like cheap sort of McDonald's Happy Meal toys to me. I think this also speaks to the uh, differences in our dispositions as children. But basically, the reason this definitely wouldn't have worked as an advert for me is because I wanted to stay as far the fuck away from any <laughs> Commando Elite toys as I possibly could after watching this movie. Just in case. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to be mute related by my toys so if it is an advert it's maybe not a particularly effective one because it's basically saying don't buy these toys they will kill you <laughs> i weird. mean that says a lot about you as an adult dude if you yeah, found that yeah. as a kid yeah exactly i probably still feel that as an adult but yeah i don't really have much else on that so if you like we can move on to what we would change about the movie yeah um do you want me to start that off yeah go for it you start it off okay so I mean, it's it's more along similar lines to what we've discussed already, but this movie doesn't really know what it wants to be and it needs to make its mind up. So if I was to change this movie at all, it would be to, to put it down one line or the other. It's in the middle ground, isn't it, between like a war genre satire. Um, so it's on the one hand a satire, but on the other, it's like a genuinely threatening sort of mild horror movie. And it sort of flits between those two. And they're quite incongruous, those two ideas. They don't really work together, I don't think. So if I was to change this movie, I'd say that it needs to pick a side and run with it. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. I think it needs to pick a lane. Um, but I would slightly disagree and I would say I don't think the concept of it being a horror movie is incongruous to the idea of it being satirical. I think it should have picked a genre, definitely. But the main thing for me is it's not the uh, needing to pick a lane in terms of the genre. It's needing to pick a lane in terms of the messaging itself. So I think it could have still been a horror movie um, and been a satire on the things that we've talked about already because if you're trying to say the way corporations sanitize violence and market it towards children is horrifying then ramp that horror up you know like and you could still have a satirical message in there um one thing i would have just on a practical level have liked to have 
uh, changed about the movie is um, remove all the Gorgonites apart from Archer, basically. I think Archer was a great character and I actually think there was scope for some an interesting relationship between Archer and Alan. And I think basically what they needed to do, it's all about trimming the fat from this movie. It just needed a little bit of streamlining. And the, the one other major thing I would have changed was Dennis Leary's character, the CEO, needed to have some kind of conclusion to his story. Dude, he just needed to be in it more. Like he's in the first five minutes and the last two minutes. Yeah, and basically I really hate the fact that the corporations that created these toys just get off the hook i'd have loved to have seen dennis leary's character get caught in the action and get injured or maybe even killed or you know something like that where they have to take responsibility for their actions so yeah like that's probably one thing i would have changed have dennis leary in it more because he's great as well he's really charismatic have dennis leary in it more and have him face some repercussions for his desire to just make money but um other than that i don't think i've got anything so the fundamental question is do you think you need rose-tinted specs to enjoy this movie? Or do you think it holds up to today's standards? Wow. I mean, it's hard not to like the film, right? It has some charisma. And I think it's mainly down to the direction. Like, I think Jay Dante is a great director. But I just couldn't help being, like, real bored. It's too bulky. It need, the, the fat needs trimming off it a little bit. So I think like to me, this movie has definitely survived better as a collection of memories of specific vivid moments in the film um, and not as a whole 90 minute experience. So I think you definitely do still need rose tinted glasses to, to enjoy this movie because I don't think it's one really from now I'm going to ever revisit. That's a fair point. Um, I think it's a mixed bag for me. I think that there are certain movies, when I answer that question, there are certain movies that I think would only survive on nostalgia alone, you know? And I think that's the core of the question. There are movies where you, you, you would not be able to appreciate them if you didn't have nostalgia for them. And I think what I would say about this movie is it helps to be able to turn off your critical brain when engaging with it you know um i would say that even though the fondness i have for it is very much down to nostalgia in a lot of ways i also think that it can be entertaining on its own merit i think that if you watch this as an adult and you weren't actively trying to criticize it you could probably find some enjoyment out of it i probably won't watch it again uh, at least not for a while but it's I, I think it kind of holds up on its own merit yeah i think I think if you're if you're like a parent, right, and you're you know you got spaces in, you're tattooed, and you see your kid watching like Frozen for the fifteenth time, and you go, you want to see a real kids movie, you you, you pull out small yeah, soldiers, yeah. don't you? Oh yeah, if you're sick of having a relentlessly uncool <laughs> child, then, then then show them this movie, and it'll sort them out. It'll introduce them to Led Zeppelin at least. Well, yeah. So, totally. so that's that's never a bad thing. Um, but yeah, I think we've basically done it. I think that's it. So yeah, thank you very much for listening to Rose Tinted. Thank you very much. I have been Paddy. And I have more or less been Ollie. More or less. Please join us next time where we will be talking about a movie we have not yet selected. Many thanks to Dilettante for letting us use their song My Dress as our theme tune. <laughs>